Good morning. Great to see you guys. Hope you're well. Um, the last week or two in our household has been one of almost constant celebrations of, I don't know, everyone seems to have a birthday in July. I don't know if it's like that in your family. Everyone has a birthday in July in my family. My mom, my wife, and my son, all birthdays in July. So uh, my wife turned 40-something. I won't tell you how old. You can ask her if you want. Uh, my son turned 16 which was quite a milestone. That was, that was really cool. Uh, we had, obviously, Matt and Karen's wedding yesterday. That was amazing. Uh, we, I was at a celebration on Wednesday night for our youth, celebrating what God's done this year. So I am almost partied out. Um, I was up to about 1 o'clock last night, <laughs> a little tired this morning. So I've already spilled coffee down me. Um, I slept through my alarm. So it's been one of those mornings for me. So I'm going to go to sleep this afternoon. But... It's really, really great to see you, particularly if you're here as a visitor. Uh, thank you so much for coming to be part of our church family. It's really, really great to have you here. So uh, we are in the summer season. We kind of take, take a little moment to step back and take a snapshot of some of the things that God might be saying to us. And so this morning, I want to dive just into one issue that I feel like God wants to put his finger on this morning. So in preparation, why don't we just pray together? So grab the shoulder of someone you're sitting next to. If you don't know them, this is a time to get warm and snuggly and cuddly. Get to know them, snuggle up, lean in, and uh, we're just going to pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much for your presence with us this morning. Lord, we, we thank you, Holy Spirit, you love it when we sing songs exalting Jesus. Thank you, that is like nectar to you, it's like honey. Thank you that when we sing about knowing Christ being the greatest thing, Thank you, Holy Spirit, you love that. And we just thank you so much for your nearness right now to every single one of us. Whether we feel near to God or far from God this morning, we thank you that you are close. You are the God who's close. And so we welcome you, Spirit of God, to speak to us this morning in a way which won't just tickle our ears, but in a way which will change our hearts. We open ourselves wide to your words, Spirit of God. Come and exalt Christ in us. And through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. <clears throat> well, if you were at first service, you would have heard uh, Paul Johnson, one of the elders, bring a fantastic prophetic word. And the, the word basically was this, that God wants to deliver us from the spirit of just getting by. God wants to deliver us from the spirit of just getting by. In other words, that spirit which says, well, I'll make do with little. I'll just be content with lack. I won't dream too much. I won't hope too much. I'll just, I'll play it safe in my life. And Paul's word was, God is coming to deliver us from the spirit of just getting by. Because one of the things that happened when you got grafted into Christ, when you became a Christian, is suddenly the impossible became your new normal. Why? Because you believed in someone who was raised from the dead. Your very entry into the kingdom of God was by believing something that is impossible. <laughs> that means that now, that now should define your hope levels, your dream levels, moving into your future as someone who now believes in Christ. Because you believed in someone who got raised from the dead. That doesn't happen every day. <laughs> and yet that is the very thing that brought you from death into spiritual life. By believing in Christ's resurrection and that's why one of the features of Christianity is that we are a people who hope and expect much. And in the very first inaugural sermon of the early church in Acts chapter 2, 
Peter, just as he's received the Holy Spirit, he spills out onto the streets of Jerusalem. Crowds are gathering from all different nations and tribes and tongues. And Peter stands up and he begins to explain what's happening. He says, listen, in, in these last days, my spirit, says the Lord, will be poured out on all flesh. Your sons and daughters, they'll prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And one of the things that Peter was underlining there is this. In the age of the Holy Spirit, suddenly people begin to dream again. I thought you'd be more excited about that. When, when the Spirit comes, he begins to awaken dreams in you. Suddenly you stop settling for what's okay and what's mediocre, and you begin to dream of what's possible. That's what happens. Old men dreaming dreams is not just about what happens in the nighttime. It's about what happens in the daytime. Are you dreaming dreams with God? Are you hoping about your future like God hopes about your future? That's what happens in the age of the Spirit because of who we now are. And of course, what often happens in our life is that the older we get and the more mature we become, the more we downsize our dreams so that we won't get disappointed. Have you ever noticed that? What happens, But the more life experience we have, and because life often teaches us Don't hope for too much because you'll get disappointed. Therefore, live life in this safe little cozy, comfortable bubble where you'll never have to face the pain of your expectations not being met. And so, so often, the older we get, the more our world shrinks into something that's very comfortable. But Peter says, in the days of the Spirit, old men begin to dream. They begin to see visions. They suddenly begin to hope again. There's suddenly that radical kingdom expectancy that I am called to believe for impossible things. Impossible things. And you and I are called to be the kind of people that spread that kind of radical kingdom hope wherever we go. If people don't come out with more hope after they've encountered you, you're operating from the wrong paradigm. (laughs) Because hope is the new paradigm of the kingdom. Let me just prove it to you. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Paul prays for the Romans. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What an amazing and beautiful prayer. I pray that you would overflow with hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. The word that's used there for hope is a confident expectation that very good things are going to happen. In other words, you are called to hope like God hopes for this planet. You're called to hope like he thinks about this world that he made. You're called to overflow with hope in the same way that God does. So here's the question. Do you? (laughs) Do you overflow with hope? You know, if when people prod you, what, what comes out of you? Thank you. That's a great answer. <laughs> when people get around you, do they get the kind of glass half empty? Or do they get the glass half full? Let's think about what's possible. Because we're called to be a prophetic people who awaken the dreams of those around us. I remember just in the worship earlier, I was remembering a story when I was 18 years old and I was at a conference and I'd just given a prophetic word that God wanted to awaken the dreams of those who were in their later years, those who were retired. 
And a couple came forward at the end of the meeting for me to pray for them. And uh, it was a husband and a wife. And the husband was pushing his wife in a wheelchair to the front. And so I began to talk to them. And she said, listen, I would love you to pray for us because our dream is to go to Peter Maritzburg in South Africa to serve the poor and to give our lives and preach the gospel there. That's what we really want to do. That's the dream in our heart. But she said, we can't go because I've got chronic arthritis. I've been in this wheelchair for several years. I can't walk without it. I can't get travel insurance, health insurance. I can't go. Unless God does a miracle, my dream is not going to come true. Please, will you pray? <laughs> I was a bit like, mm, gulp. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that kind of thing. But I said, let's, let's pray. And so we just began to pray for this couple. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience when you pray for someone. And you're praying, and suddenly you just sense a really, really tiny little bit of faith. You know, before I started praying, I didn't have any. But as we started praying, I just had that tiny, tiny little thought. God, you could do a miracle right now. And so we finished praying, and I just said to her, why don't we see what God's done? Are you willing to stand up? She said, I'd love to try. So I took hold of her hands, and she slowly stepped out of her wheelchair, and then she began to flex, flex her legs, and then flex her arms, and then bend up and down like this. With a shocked look on her face, she started to walk around her wheelchair, and she said, I have got no pain whatsoever in my body. And she, she ended up pushing her own wheelchair out of that meeting. Now, the, the story went on a little bit. So this, this was in the days, if you're part of New Frontiers, when we had a New Frontiers magazine. Do you remember those? Yeah. Well, anyway, several months later in the New Frontiers magazine, there was a, a story about this couple who had now moved to Peter Maritzburg. They were in a township there. They were serving the poor, giving their later years to preaching the gospel. Amazing, amazing moment. But listen, that, that is, in one story, that's a picture of what you and I are meant to bring to people. Hope, an awakening of dreams, a sense of this is possible for you in God because of the one that you serve. And what I really want to just hone in on this morning is one of the ways that you can best awaken dreams in other people. And it's through this, the simple power of encouragement. If you want to awaken the dreams and the hope levels in other people around you, whether they're a Christian or not yet a Christian, one of the best ways you can do that is by becoming an encourager, by becoming someone who speaks encouragement into their life. And biblical encouragement is a very powerful thing. Encouragement in Scripture is more than just a pat on the back. Biblical encouragement is much stronger and deeper than that. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. And that word encouragement in the Greek literally means to personally deliver God's verdict as he, sees, as he sees it. So what are you doing when you encourage someone? You are saying, from God's perspective, this is how he sees your life. And I am personally delivering his verdict to you. That's biblical encouragement. Thank you. <laughs> Giving God's verdict, saying this is God's perspective on your life. It might not be yours right now, but from God's vantage point, this is who he sees that you are, and this is who he sees what you're called to achieve in your life. And so when we encourage biblically, that's what we're doing. 
Think like God thinks. See how God sees. And one of the huge encouragers in the page of the New Testament was a man called Barnabas. Barnabas was probably the central encouraging figure in the pages of the New Testament. He was a key prophet and apostle in the story of the early church, a companion of the apostle Paul, traveled and ministered with the apostle Paul. And without Barnabas's personal encouragement, I don't think Paul ever would have done the things that he went on to do. Paul wrote nearly half of the New Testament. He wrote some of the deepest, richest theology in our Bible. He planted church after church after church, an incredible man of God. But I don't think he ever would have done any of those things had he not had a Barnabas in his life. Someone who was able to say, Paul, this is how God sees things from his perspective. And so I just want to give a few lessons on what Barnabas did to encourage people into their dreams. And the first lesson is this is that Barnabas became the encouragement. The first time we see Barnabas is Acts chapter 4, verse 36, where we read this. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas got his nickname, son of encouragement, because he literally sold a field and gave it away. And so suddenly he got this nickname, he's a son of encouragement. Now most commentators would agree, Barnabas wasn't just kind of selling his back garden, he was probably selling his farm. In other words, he was probably selling the thing that made his livelihood, that protected and provided for his family. He was literally selling his whole livelihood and putting at the feet of the apostles. And so they give him the nickname, man, you are a son of encouragement. Because his encouragement first came through his life, not his words. And if you want to learn how to encourage someone into their destiny and into their dreams, first you need to become the message before you give a message. Because you see, it's very easy with your words to say, I really love you. It's another thing to actually demonstrate that love through your lifestyle to that person. Words are, in our culture, often relatively cheap and It's not that words are unimportant, but actually Barnabas' encouragement started in this place. He physically became the encouragement. He became the living embodiment of what God was doing through the way that he lived his life, generously and radically. His encouragement was costly and meaningful. The content of our words has got to be matched by the content of our character. You want to encourage Think about how physically you can do that. And I think some of us even listen to these words think, well, no one's ever sold a field for me. And if that's your thought, then you've missed the point of this message. The point of this message is for you to think, who can I encourage in this way? How can I be that kind of person in somebody else's life? Who has he put in my life that I can be an encouragement to? This is a not, woe is me, no one's ever done this for me. No, no, it's a, who can I be a Barnabas to in a costly, encouraging way? Become the message. I loved hearing a story a couple of weeks ago. Some of our young people went out onto the streets of Bedford to to see what God was wanting to do, to pray for people, love people, prophesy over people. And uh, one of our, our teams saw a lady fall over on the other side of the street. 
And so this small group of young people and one of our youth leaders went over to see if this lady was okay. And they kind of helped her to her feet and just kind of cared for her and loved her and checked she was okay. She had two small children. And she, she was very thankful. And then she went on with the day. Well, these group of young people, a little bit later, were sitting on a park bench just praying. And they suddenly noticed that this very same lady was sitting on the next park bench to them. Now, sometimes when those kind of coincidences happen, it's the Holy Spirit trying to get your attention. Okay? Those are not moments to brush off. Those are moments to say, God, is there something else that you want to do? And so they just began to pray. How can we bless this lady? Now, there was a balloon seller just over the way. And so they had this idea. Let's go and buy balloons for this lady's children. And so they went over and they bought a unicorn balloon. And then they went over to this lady and they said, we just, I know we met you earlier, but we just wanted to bless you and give you some balloons. And isn't it amazing how a small act of kindness can suddenly produce an opportunity for the kingdom? And suddenly this lady is overwhelmed, welling up. Why would you be so kind? I can't believe that you noticed me. I can't believe that you'd give my kids a balloon. Unicorns are her favorite. How did you know? That's amazing. And suddenly just one small physical act of encouragement that went beyond words, suddenly the kingdom comes. So who are you doing that to in your life? How is that working out in your sphere of influence? So many people have done this in my life through the years, and probably the guy that did it most fruitfully in my life was a man called Bob Holway, who's a dear friend of mine, lives in Brighton. And growing up in Brighton as a teenager, Bob somehow saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And very often what he would do in meetings like this, he would kind of sidle up to me and he would say, so Phil, what do you feel like God's saying? I'd be like, I don't know. He's like, well, ask him. I'll come back in two minutes and see what he said to you. I'd be like, okay. So he'd go away and I'd be like, Jesus, please speak to me. Bob's coming back any minute. Please give me something. So then Bob would come back two minutes later and say, what did Jesus say? I'd be like, I've got a picture of a chicken flapping. (laughs) I'd be like, that's amazing. Well done. What does it mean? I don't know. So I'll come back in two minutes, pray and ask Jesus. So he would go away, and I'd be like, Jesus, Bob's coming back again, you know. And so he'd come back, he's like, what do you think it means? And I'd tell him. He's like, that's brilliant, well done. Who in this room do you think it's for? I don't know. Ask Jesus. I'll come back in two minutes. (laughs) It's called spiritual harassment, but of a good kind. Jesus, please speak. He'd come back, I'd be like, I think it's for that girl with the ginger hair over there. Brilliant. Let's go and pray for her together. And he'd grab my arm and off we'd go and he'd throw me in, share the word. And I'd just be relieved the whole thing was over. But then here was the really powerful bit. Midweek, you know, and at the time I was probably 14 years old, 15 years old. Without fail, probably about on a Wednesday morning, a card would drop through the letterbox from Bob. And it would say something like this. Dear Phil, I want to thank you so much for taking a risk last weekend. I want you to know how proud I am of you and how much I think and pray for you. Well done for being courageous. Well done for stepping through fear. I really believe in you. I've totally got your back and I'm with you all the way. Love, Bob. And I got a whole stack of those cards. And without fail, they would land. And, you know, without that physical encouragement, I'm not sure I ever would have carried on in the adventure of the prophetic. But sometimes we need someone in our life who physically, tangibly demonstrates 
God's verdict as he sees it. And that's how Barnabas got his nickname. The second way that you can encourage people into their dreams is by empowering some big people around you. Now, by big people, I don't mean big people. I mean big people inside. People who've got a heart of understanding that they're called to greatness. They're called to do something for God in their generation. And Barnabas did this in the life of the Apostle Paul. He was the one who really got Paul in the game in his infancy of faith. You know the story of Saul, who was a persecutor of the early church. He was the one who was throwing Christians into jail, and, and, and he was the one who was at the feet of Stephen, and Stephen was martyred. And Saul has this dramatic conversion where he gets knocked off his donkey, he sees the risen Christ, and he gives his life to Jesus. But then, of course, most of the known Christian world were scared of this man, who is known as the most brutal dictator killing Christians, who apparently had had a conversion. But it took Barnabas to actually begin to call out the greatness in Saul in his infancy. And we read this in Acts chapter 9, verse 27. It says, Barnabas took Saul and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him. And how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas is the one who goes to get Saul and says, come on Saul, I'm going to introduce you to the other apostles. These are the guys that you need to be hanging out with. You're called to be an apostle. Come with me. I'll, I'll introduce you. And so he gets Saul, he introduces him to Peter and James and John. And what he does is he says to these guys, this guy is the real deal. He's amazing. He is preaching fearlessly. His conversion is genuine. I believe in this guy. You can trust him. God's got great things for this guy. Come on. He begins to empower a spiritual giant. And here's my question for you. How big are people allowed to grow around you? How big are people allowed to grow around you? Are you raising spiritual minnows or spiritual giants? Are you raising people who really believe that they're called to change their part of the world? What are the people like that you're raising up around you? Because in order to encourage people into greatness like Barnabas... One of the things that we first got to deal with is our own small-mindedness. Because the truth is, you will always reduce people down to the level of your inner dysfunctions. Let me say that again. You will always end up reducing people down to the level of your internal dysfunctions. In other words, if I'm going to empower some spiritual giants to thrive around me, I'd better deal with the insecurity in my own heart first. Because if you've got to be top dog, if you've got to be the loudest voice, if you've got to be the sharpest gift in the room, you are not going to raise up people who are bigger than you are. Because your significance ultimately comes in your status and your reputation. But Barnabas somehow was able to shift that stuff to the side and say, do you know what? One of the greatest things I'm called to do is empower this spiritual giant to run his race for Christ. And if I do that, I might have a chance of changing this world. But he had to deal, I think, with some of the things that were inside because what's inside defines how big people are able to grow. Here's just two for instances. Jealousy. <laughs> Jealousy. If you want to empower some big people, you're going to have to deal 
with a heart of jealousy. Because what happens when big people start doing some big things, it's sure going to provoke some jealousy in your heart. The question is not will you, but what will you do with your jealousy? And if you've never been jealous, you're either running with spiritual midgets or you're lying. If you say, I've never been jealous, well, maybe you're not running with very big people. Jealousy. And of course, this is an issue that came up in the team of Jesus again and again. All four Gospels talk about this argument between the disciples about who was the greatest. I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. I'm going to be his right hand. No, I'm going to be his right hand. I've talked to my mother. She's arranged it with Jesus. They have these kind of discussions going on. Jealousy. What provoked that kind of jealousy? Because they were around some big people. They were rubbing shoulders with people who were doing some great things. We've got to deal with that heart issue of jealousy in us. If big people threaten your significance, you will always create an environment where you have to be top dog. And you won't produce any Apostle Pauls. I love the story that Chris Vallotton tells, who's been working with Bill Johnson for nearly 40 years. And he said one conference, he saw this lady coming down the aisle clutching a manuscript in her arm. And she was clearly quite nervous. She was kind of shaking. It was clearly a big deal for her. And she came to the front of the meeting to talk to Chris. And she said, Chris, I've been writing this book manuscript for years. And this is my heart and my soul. This is my life's work. And I've been waiting to give this to someone who is wise and powerful and full of authority and full of insight. I've been waiting to give this someone who could take this and do something with it. And she went on and on and on. She had this whole speech about how she was entrusting this thing to someone who was a spiritual giant. And Chris was thinking, yep, yep, I'm ready, I'm ready. And then she handed it over and she said, please would you give this to Bill Johnson? (laughs) She's like, rats, I thought she was talking about me. You know, I've had to deal with more jealousy being at King's Arms than anywhere else I've ever been. Why? Because I'm running with some spiritual giants right across this church. You know, I look across this room, and there are some flipping big spiritual giants in this room. There's some people who I think, wow, I don't know that I could ever do what you do. I don't think the way that you think. I am in awe of what you do. I'm in awe of the way that God uses you. And if you don't deal with that stuff when it arises in you, you'll produce spiritual midgets. And that's not what you're called to. And of course, the evil step twin of jealousy is competition. That jostling for position, that jostling to be in the right position, the position of power and influence. And again, we can get competitive about anything, can't we? We really can in the church. Get competitive about anything. And it's one thing to say with your mouth, I want my spiritual sons and daughters to overtake me. I want my ceiling to become their floor. Sounds great, doesn't it? That's much easier to say than it is to live through. It's one thing to say, I want my sons and daughters to overtake you until they start overtaking you. (laughs) Because when they do, it might expose some heart issues. You know, I started teaching my son guitar three years ago. 
So it took about five minutes. I taught him a G and a C chord, which is pretty much, as a Christian, it's all you need to get by. Most songs, G and a C, it'll get you through. Okay, learn the guitar. You can lead worship on two chords, I promise you. So I uh, taught him guitar, took about five minutes. He picked it up really quickly. And then he just started to kind of YouTube videos and got into the electric guitar and started kind of getting gear and practicing for hours and hours. And, you know, before I knew it, he was literally shredding like Eddie Van Halen, like doing all this stuff. I'm like, how, how do you do that? And so now he, he comes and says, Dad, do you, want, do you want to come and have a jam? I was like, yeah, okay. So I go to his bedroom, I play G and C for 45 minutes. <laughs> until my fingers are bleeding, you know. While he, for 45 minutes, he's like, <laughs> like pulling all these, this stuff out. And I'm just like, wow, that's amazing. And then, and then in the end, he's like, great jam, Dad. I really enjoyed that. I'm like, yeah, me too. That was awesome. <laughs> I just enjoyed watching you. I mean, I don't know how you did that stuff. That's awesome. You know, and, and spiritually that happens as well. Suddenly an environment where people are empowered to be great and people start running past and you think, where the heck did you learn to do that? You did not learn that from me. But that is amazing. And you've got a choice in that moment to celebrate somebody else's success, to celebrate the greatness that you see in somebody else. Because listen, to the key to your own breakthrough is celebrating somebody else's. And you've got to choose to rejoice in those moments you got to choose to say, thank God for you. Thank God for what he's doing in your life. Thank God for the way that he's advancing you and prospering you and giving you opportunity. Praise God that you're overtaking me. Because I tell you what, at the end of your life, you do not want to look back and think, I played it safe because of my own internal insecurities and I've raised up no spiritual sons and daughters. You do not want that to be your story. What you want at the end of your life is to look back and say, look at this person, look at that person. I played some small part in encouraging them into their destiny and greatness in God. I played a part in their life. That's the story that you want to have. We've got to deal with competition and jealousy so that we can do what Barnabas did. And then the third way that Barnabas encouraged was this. He encouraged by recognizing Paul according to the spirit, not just the flesh. So one of the things Barnabas seemed to be able to do was recognize someone's heavenly identity before they showed any earthly aptitude. Acts 11 verse 25, this is a story that's maybe 10 years after the last encounter we had with Barnabas. It says, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. What we know from the scriptures is that Saul spent somewhere in the region of 10 years in relative obscurity making tents in Tarsus. Meanwhile, Barnabas has gone to Antioch where an incredible revival is taking place and he begins to think, who should I get to come up to Antioch to help me? <gasps> My buddy Saul. And so he makes a 170 mile round trip, probably on foot in mountainous terrain to go and get his buddy Saul. Why? Because he believed in what Saul carried. And I think before anybody else did. He believed in Saul's calling. He believed in what he saw under the surface of Saul's life. 
And one of the things that we've got to learn, the encouragement is not just based on performance, but is based on prophetic identity in God. Now, it's, it's right to encourage people when they do things well. So, for example, if you were to come to Ben this morning and say, Ben, you led worship so well this morning. I mean, that was, seriously, it was dynamite. The Spirit of Jesus loves it when we sing about Jesus. And there was that moment where you could just sense the sweet presence of God come in the room because of your Christ-centeredness. And I love that about you. And I love the way that you led this morning. And I love that heart that's in you to always bring us to Christ. That is so powerful. That is so powerful. You know, and I just get the sense that you're in a season where you're going to get some amazing and beautiful new revelations about Jesus. And that's what your heart is really crying out for. Your heart is hungry to know Christ more. And I feel like even this morning, he just wants to affirm your hunger for the deep truth and rich riches of the gospel in Christ Jesus. That's something he's placed in you. You're not just a worshiper, you're also a theologian. And there's something beautiful about those two things coming together when you get a theologian who loves deep and profound truth, also learning to sing those songs of heaven, to declare the truth about Christ. And you're to understand that even, sorry, I'm in prophetic mode here. Uh, you're to understand that even in uh, some of your, the, the questions that you're asking right now, it comes from a heart to know Christ. That's where it's coming from. And that's a deep, special gift from God to you. And you, you just led us so brilliantly. And you always do. It's an incredible gift that you carry. It really is. Now, it's, it's one thing to come up to Ben afterwards and say, do you know what, buddy, you did such a great job. And you should do that. Encourage people like Ben and others who serve. But it's another thing to encourage someone that's not based on anything that they've done, but purely because of their prophetic identity in God. To say, this is who God sees you as. And when you bring those kind of words, it may not even ring true to the person that you're bringing them to. Here's a great example. In Jesus' team, Jesus comes to Simon Peter, who is the, he's the foot-in-mouth disciple. Okay, so he's the, he's the clumsy clown who kind of always puts his foot in it and always kind of goes beyond the boundary. He's the one who slices people's ears off with swords. He's the one who wants to call down fire from heaven. He's the one who's kind of, he's powerful, but he's a bit of a loose cannon. And so Jesus comes to Simon Peter in Matthew 16 and he says, Peter, you are a rock and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Wow, what an encouragement. Here's the thing, I reckon the rest of the disciples were thinking, Jesus, you got that one wrong. <laughs> uh, that's not Simon Peter. That's not what he's like, Jesus. You know what he's like. He's foot and mouth guy. He's not rocky. He's not stable. He's not Mr. Dependable. He's not the one you can build on. You know, James may be, but Peter, uh, no. But what Jesus is doing is encouraging Peter's prophetic destiny because he would go on to be the rock. He would go on to be the pillar. He would go on to be the foundation in the early church. And he became that because of what Jesus saw under the surface. Exactly the same with Gideon. The angel comes to Gideon. Gideon is hiding in the wine press because he doesn't want to go into battle. In other words, he's timid, he's a coward, he's scared. And the angel comes to Gideon in that secret place and says, rise up you valiant warrior. 
Uh, I think you got the wrong house. <laughs> That's not me. Sorry, angel. But listen, you have a prophetic identity that's not yet connected to your measure or level of performance. But it's rooted in identity. It's rooted in a spiritual place where God understands who you are and what you're called to be. And so when you encourage, learn to look under the surface. What is the treasure that God has placed within and how can you help draw it out? And you know, this is one of the most powerful things that you can do in your workplace to bring life to those who don't yet know Jesus around you is to learn to encourage what Father God has put in them. Do you know every single person on this planet is made in the image of God? Which means that they have a God-given destiny. And he's placed you in their life to help see it and draw it out. Which means one of the most powerful things you can do to the person who's working opposite you in your office is to call out the treasure within and say, do you know what? You're amazing. I love working with you. you, you you've got so much more in you. I can see that you, you've got a fruitful, amazing life ahead of you. You are brilliant. I believe in you. Try that this week. Try that in your workplace with someone that you work with. Call out the greatness within. Do you know discerning of spirits is not just about discerning evil spirits. It's about recognizing people's God-given spiritual identity. You're called to discern, not by the flesh, but by heavenly revelation, and to encourage people into their life and into their God-given dreams. Whew, I'm feeling happy. That's a good word right there. <laughs> 